you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer this is affordable interior design the podcast here's your host betsy hellman Alrighty, guys it is great to be back with you this week i hope that things are going well that you're designing up a storm because holiday entertaining is right around the corner so now is the time to start thinking about what you're going to order, how you're going to style things, what the tablescape will look like. People are starting to call us over here to do their holiday decorating, and it is so fun to be using garland and styling office spaces. One of my favorite projects was when a client who was from the UK, and I guess they weren't very festive just normally, decided that when they moved to New York, they wanted a really bedazzled Christmas tree, but they didn't have any ornaments. And you know what I think it was? I think it was because their child was at the age where he was excited about Christmas, and so they were going to get into the spirit. So they had me not only pick out their Christmas tree at a big lot, but also go shopping for all their ornaments. They gave me a very healthy budget, and I wanted the ornaments to feel curated over time, selected, special, like they reflected the client but also doing a mix of personal and generic, just like I would if I was styling a bookcase or a coffee table. So that way it felt approachable, yet each time you looked, you found something new and unique. I love this time of year. I can't wait. It makes the cold weather worth it when I can start decorating. Well, as you guys know, I've been taking a lot of calls from people who are interested in the Academy. And one thing that keeps coming up that I really want to share with you guys is people who are taking friends and family clients for free. I want to caution against this. As someone who has done this, let me give you a couple tips because I know if I'm talking to people who are struggling with this issue, just a smattering of people on these academy calls, there must be hundreds if not thousands of you out there who are facing these same challenges, doing the same thing, and I want you to stop right there. Now, working with friends and family can be great. However, it can be a little bit of a trap, you know, when you're going over to somebody's space for the holidays and they say, you know, Janice, would you mind looking at my living room and telling me your thoughts? 
sometimes they really can't handle the truth and they're your friend. So then there's always sort of this weird space in between you guys where they really weren't expecting negative feedback and now that they got it, they kind of can't put it out of their mind, but they also don't want to hire you because, well, that would be too expensive or XYZ reasons, right? The other problem with, say, taking that client for free or for very low cost because they are a friend and family and because you are a new designer, the problem is you're going to make mistakes on their home because you don't have a knowledge base that you know, would prevent you from making those errors. And you don't want to be messing up with friends and family. They may not forget, or you might have to really work extra hard to make that better. Additionally, at every event, you're going to be seeing them, and it's going to be hard to create that boundary where you say, you know what, at this birthday party, I really don't want to talk about rugs, right? It's the same reason that here in Westchester, I try not to design in my hometown. Well, I guess I call it a hometown now that I live here, but I try not to design in this town because when I first moved here, I was like, I'm taking every Dobbs Ferry client. I want to make sure that they get my level of service that I go the extra mile because I'm going to be seeing them everywhere. But then I really did see them everywhere from the pumpkin festival to the grocery store. And they would always be asking me, Betsy, I want to show you what I did with my wall that we talked about. And I love that stuff. I do. But on the weekends, I make it a rule to totally unplug. And at least one day a weekend, if not two, to not think about work for even one second. So it made it hard to stick to that rule. It's awkward to say, you know what? I really don't want to talk about artwork here today. That's not a great thing to be faced with day in, day out. The other thing is that when you don't get paid appropriately, when you're working for free or very low cost, you can become resentful. And that passion business, that hobby business, that thing you loved, which is interior designer decorating, can become something that you start to have negative feelings around when your friends and family are asking you a ton of questions because you're working for free or very cheap, when they keep, you know, really putting you in the spotlight in times when maybe you need to be off or maybe you've worked so hard on this project or maybe you've messed up so you feel obligated to work even harder. There does, and I'm speaking from experience, tend to be a negative side effect to that, which I think when I initially was working and taking those free clients, I think that made me a little disillusioned a little too early. So guys, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't take any projects as a newbie. It just means that first you might want to get some skills or some education so that you can charge something that you won't feel resentful about and have a structure that you follow with everyone so that people are clear on the boundaries even when you're new. Just because you're new doesn't mean you should be working like a dog and not getting paid or being underpaid. I needed to put that out there as a PSA. All right, guys, let me hop off my high horse and get into this mailbag. All right, my question comes from a premium member, and her name is, oh, I think it was Anne, but it looks like it got cut off. I think it was Anne. All right, here we go. 
She writes, Dear Betsy, I have loved finding your podcast because I completely identify with falling for the fast-paced and affordable design world of trading spaces that just doesn't exist anywhere else. I've been getting creative with my space since I was a middle schooler. I'm obsessed with that show, Trading Spaces, and I have gone through about a million design evolutions. I have done the Skittle House. I have done the apartment filled with every one of my favorite things without cohesion. But I am ready for more sophistication. I have a very layered and eclectic style, and I'm strongly inspired by pre-war architecture, furniture, and 50s I'm sorry, and fixtures, excuse me, from the early to mid-20th century. I love neutrals with great texture. I love graphic accessories. I want my home to feel nostalgic, airy, creative, and my personality is all about coffee, all about old paperbacks and classic horror movies. In fact, the apartment in Rosemary's Baby is my dream home, minus the coven of witches, of course. My husband doesn't have a strong sense of style, but he loves traditional wood furniture. When we moved in together, we had very little furniture and most of it didn't work in the space. So we are starting from scratch for the whole house and I've had several placeholder pieces. This means that our whole house is still a work in progress. My 603010 is jade green cognac. I'm taking advantage of the asterisk you made in one of your bonus episodes that one of the colors could be a brown if it was a very specific brown. And I'm leaving the other 10% open for evolution because I'm always shifting and changing the colors that I want in my home. That being said, I live in a renovated Victorian. My husband owned and renovated the home before we met. And although there are aspects of it that I love, other parts feel strange and not very functional. We will be adding crown molding and framing to the doorways. That way I can add in some of the charm that was stripped away in the renovation. But I have absolutely no idea what to do with this weird pass-through bonus room that cuts my house in half. We use it as a library office, and I do love that function for it. But while the rest of my house is bright and sunny, this room is a cave. There is an ice block window that butts up against our neighbor's house, and this is the maximum amount of light this room will get all day. I've even added a massive mirror across from the window to enhance that light. And still, there isn't enough light to go around. I thought of your idea of embracing the dark and making the room super cozy with a dark wall color. But because it is a pass-through that literally divides my space, will that look like a looming cave? What else could I possibly do with this awkward space to make it feel less like a basement rec room in the middle of my house? All right. Well, I wanted to first touch on what you said about Rosemary's Baby, without the witches, of course, because I have a little tangential anecdote to share about myself. When I was living in the city, my husband, I knew, was not a city guy. This was not going to be his be-all, end-all, even though he'd lived there for nearly two decades. I knew eventually he'd want to move to the burbs, but not me. Like, Brooklyn was already suburban enough for me. I was a Manhattan girl. Well, one day, I got a client out in New Jersey, Glen Ridge. I'll never forget it. I get off the train. I'm walking to this client's house. I have my, I think this was even before GPS. No, there must have been a GPS, but I think I would print it out MapQuest directions or something. So I'm walking to this client's space, and as I approach the address, I look up, and there is this big, 
black Victorian house that looks like it's from the Adams family looming in front of me. And it turns out that that was the client's house. Oh my goodness, I was so excited. So I get in and generally how I start a project is I take a full tour of the space because even if we're just working on the living room, I want to see their style throughout the space. I want to see the architecture through the whole home so that way I can make things feel really cohesive and I can be thinking more holistically. As they're taking me on this tour of this very old, very black Victorian, there's hidden passageways and closets, there's towers, there's windows, there's awkward rooms that don't seem to have a clear function, but I just couldn't wait to get creative with. It was such a fun experience that when I left that home, all the way back on my walk to the train, I was Googling other homes in that area that would be available because I was a convert. If I could live in something even half this cool, sign me up. That weekend, so three or four days later, my husband were ba- my husband and I were back in that neighborhood. We took the train, got a sitter for the kids, and we were walking up and down the streets looking at open houses, pretty much just circling this person's home. I was like, this is where I need to be. And while we didn't wind up in New Jersey, that was the bridge that got me from, hell no, Brooklyn is home, to what? It's time for a very spooky Victorian that may have formerly been a witch's coven. So we are on the same page. Let me put that out there. And I totally appreciate your design sensibility. And I'm excited that you are in a Victorian because that is a really fun opportunity to embrace that eclectic style. Looking through your pictures here, You know, I think it is fun to get a little moody. You know, you need to flow with the architecture and sometimes you can't always make something, you know, by forcing it or making it feel a different way than it organically does feel. You might always be compromising. It is fun to just dive into that feeling. It could be fun to do something that's not a dark wall paint, but maybe it's an interesting wallpaper in that room. The one thing that strikes me about that little room is that, you know, it feels a little amorphous. There's no rug. You're telling me it's an office. You're telling me it's a library. But there's like this mishmash of furniture that doesn't look office-y or furniture There's like a dresser in here. There's a hutch that has books in it, but it doesn't scream library. There's a drop leaf table here. There's one chair, but there's no ottoman. So it doesn't even feel like a really cozy place to read. So while you're telling me that you're loving the function, I'm not seeing it actually work as a library or office visually. I would formalize that and maybe get a desk or style this drop leaf table so that it really looks like a desk. I would get that chair in ottoman and formalize that with a cozy rug so that I've created a zone that separates it from the office area. But right now this room just doesn't look intentional and that's my biggest issue with it. I also don't love the ice block window. It does look a little 80s in this historic home. A lot of you guys will remember these ice blocks. They're like these squares that have this 
um, glass that's got this texture and then they're put together in formation so that they take the place of a window. They're translucent, light is coming in, but they're not fully transparent. It does remind me of an 80s movie. I recently watched Troop Beverly Hills with my kids and there were prominent ice blocks featured. Uh, So anyway, that might be something that you think about transitioning into a real window that will let through even more light. And um, yeah, that's kind of my two cents on that one. Let's get to your next question. Your next question is, Betsy, another issue I'm having is these curtains. Several of my windows are in corners, and in my dining room, one window is on an angled wall with only a couple of inches on either side. I put in roller binds, but I have no idea how to proceed in the best way. Also, my living room window has a big handle that sticks out, and it prevents me from mounting blinds above the transom window, and the frame below is too shallow. It has several ridges, so I can't mount blinds there either. Is there a solution for this? All right, so windows are tricky, you know, and sometimes you may want to consider calling in a professional. Because you own this space, you might think about doing something more custom. Uh, Okay, so I'm looking at these windows and the one in the living room, you know, a lot of us have windows that open up and have one of those crank handles, which would prevent you from doing blinds. If you feel you need privacy in this situation, but you want light to filter through, you could either do curtains that have a translucency to them, Or if you're going to need blackout sometimes, well, you could do a double rod with shears and then those thicker opaque curtains as the other layer. But you know I don't love shears. They tend to poke out from behind the other window treatment, that opaque treatment, and it looks like one of those... Do you guys remember wearing slips under your dresses? Well, it looks like your slip is peeking through, right? I would rather you go for those translucent drapes. And here you're probably going to need double wide. I can only see half the window, but I'm just speculating. And I would put them on grommets because I can see here that you have a rod pocket. Not my favorite style. And when you have a grommet drape, you can easily manipulate it back and forth, back and forth, so that opening and closing it isn't such a pain. It's something that you can easily do every single day. In terms of the windows that are close to the wall, what you can do there is that you can get what's called an inside mounted bracket. Now an inside mounted bracket reminds me of, well it's very similar to, a closet rod where there's like a circle that's on the side of the wall and the rod screws into that. So you can fully go starting at the one side of the wall and then use a bracket for the other side of the window. So one side looks like a shower curtain rod or a closet rod, but on the other side it does have that bracket that protrudes. That allows you to take the window treatment all the way to the corner so you're not encroaching on so much of the window with the drape. And it does allow you to fully dress that window, meaning that you can have a drape on either side and potentially even have a blind. So that is my take on that. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. 
Our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes, Beautifying Your Home for Less, Styling Your Home, and The Fundamentals of Feng Shui. Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock-filled with visuals and tips, things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, with the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to get your bundle or your online class today. All right, let's go to your next question. Let's see. The living room is our most complete space so far. And in the ways that I'm stuck in the living room, I will explain. I have worked on the room for a while, but it doesn't give me the vibes I wanted. I really want to snuggle up into my couch with coffee. I want to breathe in all the airy sunlight that fills up this tall room. I want to feel invigorated and excited by the art in my walls. As it is, I feel crowded. We are getting rid of that red couch and we're going to get a neutral one just in case it was driving you crazy. I used a tall antique anatomy poster to emphasize the height of the ceiling. I then surrounded my beloved husband's beloved behemoth TV with a gallery wall to soften that giant black hole. I like the look of these walls together, but now I'm stuck on these other walls. The room does not feel balanced if they're empty, but my eye needs a place to rest. Should I start fresh or style the other walls to balance? If I do start fresh, how do I keep the layered and eclectic feeling that I love without crowding these walls? How do I mitigate this giant TV that is keeping my marriage a happy one? All right, so let's dig in here because, yes, I think the room does feel a little bit tight and awkward. I don't have absolutely every angle I would want, but I have enough to understand the problem. The problem for me is that the biggest piece of furniture, which is the sofa, is on one of the smallest walls in the room. And I'm not loving that. Additionally, when you're seated on the sofa, your back is to the main point of access, which means that you are not in the power position. It means that you feel quite vulnerable according to feng shui, and it's not comfortable and relaxing. You know I like to use my system. The new, the new name we've given it is the master layout system. You know I like to use my master layout system to try every possible option, but I am thinking, based on a first perusal, that you should put that big sofa, whether you're changing it out for a new one or not, in front of the window wall, and then put the TV opposite it. So that way, even though the sofa would be partially blocking the window, which I don't feel bad about at all, that way you are in more of a power position. You can easily, from the periphery, see that main point of access, you can easily watch TV because there's that nice big wall. So basically, I'm telling you to put the TV where the anatomy poster is. 
And then you can maybe turn that whole wall where the anatomy poster is, where the TV will now be, into a gallery wall. And just focus on really styling that wall. Maybe because you're so eclectic and you want to emphasize that height, maybe you take it all the way up to the ceiling with the gallery wall. That could be so cool and such an interesting moment. The other thing that I would recommend is wall mounting this behemoth because if you are going to turn a TV wall into a gallery wall, you want the TV to feel like yet another picture frame. And when it's on the stand, it doesn't feel like a picture. It feels like you've got a whole bunch of images floating around the TV. You really want to incorporate the television into this wall so that it feels like a part of the gallery wall and not just like it's sticking out in front of the gallery wall. I think making those two changes will really help the room to feel more comfortable. And also you mentioned wanting to snuggle up and drink coffee. For me, if I was going to snuggle up, I would need some kind of ottoman or place to put my feet up. So that might be what's missing for you. Certainly, you could always use the sofa as a chaise experience, but it does prevent someone else from sitting there. So you may want to consider that option. And like I said, I wouldn't land on the floor plan I suggested as the final and only option, but I do want you to consider this arrangement because I don't love it. I don't love it. All right, let me see if there were any other questions with this letter before I move on to the next. Notice how I call it a letter? How old school is that? This is not a letter. This is an email. Uh, and also, you know, typically, here's a little tip for you guys. The depth of the t room determines the size of the TV. So you take a measuring tape from where your eyeballs would be on the couch, and you take it all the way to the opposite wall where the TV will be. You divide that number in inches by two, and that's the size of the TV. I love this equation because it's an easy way to tell people what the size should be definitively. So you don't wind up with a massive TV in a tiny room. This TV does appear to be a little too large for the room, but I think once it's mounted on the wall, it will feel a lot better. All right, let's go to my next note. Now this actually is not a note at all. This is something, um, that my assistant passed along to me because we scroll through the press requests. So the media puts out these requests asking for interior designers to talk on different topics. And this was a topic that I found particularly interesting. So I wanted to share my thoughts on this because I didn't actually submit uh, for this press inquiry, but I just thought it was a really interesting viewpoint. This press person wrote, hello, I'm looking for interior designers to lend their valuable expertise to a personal essay about how grieving can affect the way we decorate. What's your recommendation for keeping mementos of loved ones? Should people put memories of their loved ones in a box and pull them out when they are ready to grieve? Or is it better to have these memories incorporated in our design? Do you ever feel that people are on the verge of hoarding or keeping too much clutter because they're afraid to discard items of loved ones? What is your advice? So first of all, I'm seeing a dark thread through this episode, whether it's Rosemary's Baby, The Addams Family, or now Grieving Mementos. That was just random, but I'm just sensing that. One thing I would say, as I would say, you know, it depends how fresh the wounds are and how 
profound this sadness is at this time, right? Sometimes when someone just passes or we just have a sad event in our lives, we don't want to be immediately reminded of that. But we might be open to incorporating that in our day-to-day decor in a few months, in a few years. So you want to see, you want to kind of take a a general poll of how everyone that lives in the home is feeling about the situation. How are we feeling about grandma passing away? Is it really raw for one of your kids, but less raw for you? If it's going to trigger anyone as they walk by day to day, it's not the time to incorporate it in your decor. However, I feel that decor that only reflects who you are now, decor that doesn't have any reminiscence. Can you tell I'm recording in the morning again, guys? I'm recording in the morning when words don't come easily and the coffee has not been fully absorbed in the bloodstream. Can you tell? Anyway, um, I think it's important to have images of history, family history, personal history, to have things that trigger memories. Um... And so when I moved to a house from an apartment, in our apartment, we didn't have a lot of room for display. We only had memories of the now, our current kids' pictures, our current wedding pictures. But when I moved into a house, we had a lot more walls, a lot more opportunities for shelving, and I really wanted to incorporate old pictures as well as new so that our home had a more rich feeling as people looked around. So we did incorporate some pictures of people who've passed, things that made me really sad, but now they bring up an opportunity for me to have a happy memory of that person as well. You know, I brought out a beautiful crocheted blanket that my grandma gave me, and it's now on my daughter's bed, and it makes me really happy that those things aren't just stowed away, even if they are going to get stains or snagged. I'm glad that we're using them and it makes me feel like that person is back as a part of our life. So I think it's a case-by-case basis how much you weave in, but I also think it's a real misstep and makes your design look less complex and interesting if you don't have anyone from the past represented. Uh, I often find, oh my gosh, so often, that people have pieces of furniture from their family that they don't want to get rid of, but it doesn't match their style. It doesn't serve them in the way that they're living in this contemporary world. And they almost feel obligated, but in a negative way, sort of bound to those pieces. Oftentimes those pieces will wind up in a basement or wind up taking space away from a really functional need that you have that this piece can't serve. I find it to be really problematic to be incorporating large pieces of furniture that don't really work for you. Uh, That being said, it's a fine line. It really is. And so when I'm working with my clients, I have to be quite delicate about that. I have to think outside the box. Maybe something that used to be a dresser now needs to become a buffet. Maybe something that used to be a telephone table now needs to become a nightstand in a guest room. So constantly thinking of different ways to use a piece. For instance, my client two weeks ago had an antique desk. It was lovely. But the back was such that it was in really bad shape. And so we couldn't float the desk in the room. And in this particular room, the desk could not be butted up against the wall. 
So we're not able to use this piece as a desk. I challenged her to maybe use it as a vanity up in her closet because while the piece isn't in the best of shape, it is special to her. That doesn't mean that everyone needs to see it. It just means that she needs to see it. So think about what pieces could be kept in more private areas and what pieces really do need to be out in public but maybe serve a different function. All right, guys, I've talked a lot this morning. I'm going to let you get back to your lives, let you get back to emailing me questions at Betsy at AffordableInteriorDesign.com. Send me those questions. I love to answer them. And as we swing into the holidays, I want to really dig in and get a lot of them answered so you guys can decorate with confidence and style. All right, until next week, talk to you later. Bye. asked for it and we have answered the call. For years you've been saying, Betsy, you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out, follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.